Yo, where my damn house keys? Why my lower legs hurt? Side Attica lock legs like Attica word. Yo, why my ass always horny? Why I always gotta pee? Why the young boy on the bus offer his seat to me? That was the voice of Rada Blank, also known as rapper Rodimus Prime. She's the writer, director, and star of the brand new Netflix film, The 40-Year-Old Version, out now. The film follows a 39-year-old struggling New York playwright named Rada who is determined to break through before she turns 40. She does, but as a rapper. She talks bluntly and hilariously about the struggles of getting older, and as you may have guessed, this movie is very funny, as well as semi-autobiographical. As a 45-year-old, I related to it far too much. If you're a fan of hip-hop and New York indie movies, this is exactly the film for you. I'm Tim Malloy, you're listening to Movie Maker Interviews, and you can watch the 40-year-old version on Netflix today. I highly recommend it. Can we start by just talking about who you are and how that led into the screenplay? Like, what is your, what is your story? Yeah. Um, well, I'm a native New Yorker. Um, if the scars and the walk don't tell you. Um, <laughs> and I was raised by two struggling artists uh, in New York. And so I saw, you know, the many ways a career in the arts could work and could not work out. And, um, but I'd always been writing. I was always encouraged to write. My mom was a massive cinephile. So I, I grew up on like, (laughs) uh, schmoody schmallen films and, um, uh, Cassavetes and Lumet and Hal Ashby and (laughs) Kathleen Collins. I, I knew about her at least. I hadn't seen the film, but until later, but so I was just, I just love film. It was, it was a pastime for our family. And, but it took me a second to call myself a screenwriter because I was exploring so many aspects of writing. I was a, a, a stand-up comic at one point. You know, I was doing solo performance work. And I guess how I found this was, well, one, I was a, a playwright for many years, struggling in New York. Um, some people may have seen one of my plays because I've only had one major production, even though I've written about 12 or 13 plays. Um, and, um, you know, the, but the, the frustration around trying to have a breakthrough as a playwright gave me a story to tell, you know, and, and, and honestly, it was, I was having frustration in uh, filmmaking too because I'd gotten my first screenwriting job um, on a film that I don't even think this film came out yet. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> but um, I I gotten fired off the second draft, <laughs> and wow. I was just like, "What gives?" You know, I was I was a teaching artist, and I loved working with kids, but I always saw that as like a temporary thing. You know, that one day I'd have some kind of breakout as a as a as a storyteller. And when the when I got fired off the film, I was like, you know what, I I kind of have to do something to take my career back Mm -hmm. and um a a lot of people think it was the rapping which it was for the character for me honestly it was like i'm just gonna do a web series i'm gonna make a web series i'm gonna shoot and do everything myself i'm gonna star in it and this way no one can like fire me (laughs) and i'll be my own boss and so i started writing a web series where you know me as a i was playing myself as a playwright 
um, trying to have a big break before her 40th birthday. Um, and when, you know, she does a thing that puts her career in the toilet, she then decides to become a rapper. And so I had written 10 episodes and the idea was like, you watch the 10 episodes, um, and at the end you could download a free mixtape or something like that. Um, about two weeks before we went to shoot the first two episodes, which we were going to use as a crowdfunding for the back eight, um, my mom passed away. Mm. And as you can imagine, it devastated my life and she was my best friend. We had the same birthday. And, um, you know, I, I was, I was, I don't know. I was going to call it quits where arts was concerned. I was going to become a social worker. Thank God I didn't. I probably saved more children by not becoming a social worker. (laughs) Um, But I had had all of this music, you know, as a companion piece to the web series. So I started going out and performing as Rodimus Prime, you know, and it was cathartic. I got to connect uh, with an audience of women who were of a certain age, you know, it was, a, it was, it's a cabaret act that I've done for a couple of years, very self-deprecating, but all through the lens of hip hop. Yeah. And um, when I went out and did that for a couple of years and, and came back and looked at the web series, it just felt a little too pedestrian. So mm-hmm. I was just trying to find ways to keep the story fresh. It felt pedestrian, but it also felt like at that time, and this was like 2017, 2016, yeah, somewhere around there. Um, it just felt like um, online web series felt like a millennials game. You know, like, mm. you know, like, you know, like it felt like it was lent, lent itself to an audience who just wanted to see something really quick and and you know, and I just felt like the story was deeper than a web episode, like a, yeah. a five minute episode. And so I I I started writing for TV at the time. I know this is like the long. You didn't ask no, all of that. That's what we're here I'm for. I'm just giving you the backstory because it, it really, it was a journey to get here. By this time, I started writing on television shows and I, I thought, well, I'll do it as a, I'll write it as a pilot. Wrote it as a 30 minute pilot, the 40 year old version. So now I transformed it from 10, 10 episode web series to 30 minute um, pilot. And then I thought, who the is gonna produce this thing nobody knows who the hell i am like I, what tv you know what network is gonna what production company is gonna invest in me i'm a nobody and then i just got the notion like it's a feature film you know yeah. like as a feature film i could still keep you know it independent and um on the fringes so to speak and we, you know, again, like I, I've been friends with Lena for, for many years. And at one point she was trying to help me make this film. And, um, but it was at Sundance 2017, I think. And she just said, why don't you let me help you make your movie? Wow. And that was it. And here we are. So sorry. I, that was a long winded answer, but that's, that's, that's how I got here. It wasn't just like me one day saying, Oh, I'm going to write a story about, I'm write a movie about like, it took me a second to realize it was a film and it took me, um, but it didn't take me long to realize it was a black and white film. Like I knew immediately that it would be black and white. Yeah. Um, and I think that was because, you know, I was raised on black and white films. Like, the apartment, Lost Weekend, and um, it, you know, so it's not a foreign thing to me. I, I also felt like it would lend itself to, 
you know, a presentation of, of, of hip hop culture in a way we hadn't seen it, you know, more sophisticated, uh, more human lens, so to speak. But yeah, that's, that's how we got here. I felt very comfortable in this world because it reminded me of all the like 90s hip hop videos I grew up with. Like I'm 45, Ooh. so it spoke to okay. me as a post 40 also. Um, but I just, I was like, what does this remind me of? And it reminded me of the Public Enemy Can't Trust It video. And it reminded wow. me of just like the look of it, like cinem the cinematography. Um, and also I just rewatched the LL Cool J uh, Going Back to Cali video, which just like that black and white look it's just like so smooth and comforting i don't know how to explain yeah. it but it also has some grit because it's black and white yeah like Eric well Blanco. you get me you get me because if 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 you were to look at my um i guess my digital lookbook all yeah. of those videos are on there along with um electric relaxation which you know at the beginning of the film there's kind of an homage to that song yeah. um diggable planets where i'm from you know like i the 90s was my was my yeah. time and apparently it was your time too but that's what i wanted it to feel like exactly like that when when music videos were um trying to step away from the oversaturate oversaturated you know kind of typical image of, of hip-hop and yeah. do something just cooler you know more sophisticated yeah. so yep the that's what i was going for <laughs> We were so obsessed with the cool like that video, the the, the Digable Planets video. It's it, they were a huge inspiration to me as an artist, but also to the film. Yeah. Oh man, mm -hmm. the the other thing that is just kind of in the background here is you're a really good rapper. And oh, thank you. But that's that's not even in the list of things that you listed that you've done. It's just something that you kind of had in your back pocket. Like, were you just always good? Like, um, you know, hip hop. I mean, I'm, I am a rapper. I really do consider myself a rapper. And I, I tried in my teens to pursue a career. And then after a while, it just kind of became a meditation for me, just a way to kind of get through some, some stuff. And it wasn't until, you know, my mom passed away that I actually started performing as a rapper in my 40s. You know what I mean? But it is, it is second nature to me you know and um i think that's important though that someone who looks like me a woman of my age like still sh has prowess in that area because you know i think hip-hop always gets kind of regulated or um connected to youth culture and it's a huge part of it but i think you know also what i'm trying to say with the film is like you don't age out of your passion you know what i mean and mm -hmm. i I love it, and I'm hoping to do more performance as as Rodimus Prime because I can't, you know, I, I should. Why not? Why shouldn't a woman my age be rhyming, you know? Um, but yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just, it's kind of one of those things that you can't fake. It's like, are you good or not? I mean, there's 17-year-olds mm -hmm. who are terrible. <laughs> and it's... I well, I felt like, you know, you know, people probably expecting me to not be good so I have to be you know like I have to I feel like how can you watch a film about this person and you don't believe that it's possible you know and so there's that moment with with Rada and D where he has a shift because the person who walked in the room is not the person who's standing at the mic and I feel like that's that's how it is for a lot of us like we have different parts of ourselves that um you know are beyond the surface 
and you know we often have to compartmentalize i'm sorry but I'm not, oh um you know we often have to compartmentalize them uh maybe for some maybe for survival or whatever but i think this is about a person kind of peeling back the layers and allowing this part of herself to live so to speak if that makes sense you know so many filmmakers and so many of so many movie maker readers are sort of constantly in the struggle of trying to get something done and reworking the script for the you know second or third time and trying to find partners all of the boring just grimy unpleasant stuff and don't feel like they're ever going to get to the point that you're at now can you just talk about what it's like to be at the point of netflix bought your film it's getting great reviews you just got a huge award at sundance like you've made it and Mm. four years ago it was all struggle yeah i mean i it's so funny uh i come from a family of struggling artists so i think i was becoming a little too comfortable with that identity you know and that would that adversity would feed my work so it'd be curious to see what's going to happen on the other side of this i might be my work might all go to shit because there's no <laughs> struggle um i think there's first of all i think there's always going to be struggle and 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 made it is in the eye of the the person who is considered making it like um you know i don't know it, it was a while getting here you know like i've yeah. been writing for over 20 years writing for children's television and then writing plays and then doing solo performance work and doing the hip-hop and comedy and you know like i have probably done every kind of writing outside of you know a, a, a novella you know mm -hmm. like i i've done everything and and I, but I, what I realized is that I, I allowed myself to go through that process. You know, like one big thing that I think is important for writers to do is to not compare their process or their writing to other people. Mm -hmm. You know, use what you can. Like a lot of my mentors, I've never met. And, and a lot of them are no longer with us. And so I've kind of like, I've had to create my own curriculum, so to speak, like going to watching so many films <laughs> watching tons and tons of films sometimes um i would go to because i was you know i've been broke for most of my life but going to the lincoln center archive and looking at plays that you know I, when they were up on broadway i couldn't afford the hundred dollar ticket and most of them have been archived so i go there and study you know like i just i'm just pulling from many many resources but but i just i think it's so important for a newer writer to not be hard on themselves. Um, when I was in my mid to late twenties, I was in a relationship with someone who got up every day and wrote at four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And I'd, I'd reach out for him and he wasn't there. He was at his desk. <laughs> you know, I was the mistress, the writing was the wife. And, and for, for, for a time I started emulating his process. But then when I read my work, it was a piece of shit. And so what I've realized is that writing for me is, is a lot about collecting information. Yeah. And, you know, I have one play called Casket Sharp. Um, the industry, you know, some people in the industry have been curious about turning that into either a movie or a TV show, but it's, a, it's about this guy who takes over his dead father's um, funeral parlor. Nice. And he ends up becoming the mediator between um, this dead boy's gang family and his mother over how he should be buried, right? Now for that particular play, I'm just, I'm a playwright. So that's kind of how I arrive at even some of my screenwriting. You know, I just did months and months of research 
which I realized is writing, just months and months of research. And then the smart thing I did, which I had never done before this point, was I wrote an outline. It changed everything. Like I wrote an outline and that changed my life. I was able to write that play in two days. Oh my now, God. I'm not saying that that is every, gonna be everyone's outcome, but having the outline and then, you know, having the research just kind of spill into and spread out the outline um, was life-changing for me. And so, so that's a practice I've, I've taken on now. And, and the other thing that is just have be, has become the holy grail for me is knowing how I want the movie to end. Like yeah. knowing how I want the movie to end becomes its own GPS. Mm-hmm. And even if, as I'm getting closer and closer to that ending, the ending changes, I've done all of this work to get there. Yeah. And so I've, I end up creating a world just by knowing how the the movie ends, yeah. you know? So it's like these little things that I've kind of developed over the years. Um, some of my own, some from, you know, reading a book like The Art of Dramatic Writing, which um, Fred Hudson, um, God bless his soul, um, he wrote a film called The Miseducation of Sonny Carson. And it was yeah. his only film. But what he's really known for in some circles is uh, founding the Frederick Douglass Creative Arts Center, which is no longer there, but he founded this writing center with Bud Schulberg, writer of On the Waterfront. And, you know, that Lejos Igri book, The Art of Dramatic Writing, is, is something he introduced me to, and it changed my life. Like, to invest that much time in a character, you know, it really to me, it's the, it's the compass of the film. If you know who a character is, you know how they're going to react to a house being on fire or hmm. someone getting hit by a car or there being a pandemic. You know, like that book <laughs> really helped me create characters from inside out. And so, yeah, you know, there's just these things I've picked up along the way, kind of creating my own curriculum. Um, um, but the biggest part was just accepting what my own process would be as opposed to comparing myself to, to, to how other people arrive at yeah. a screenplay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think, why do you think this one was the breakthrough? Well, it had to be the breakthrough because, well, it had to be my first film because I can't, Tim, I can't play 40 forever. Um, <laughs> well, I can't play 39 forever because we never see her actually turn 40. But <laughs> um, even though I'm moisturized, like I, I, I knew this, this, um, this should be the first film for that reason. But also like I was being strategic, you know, like I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you. I know people maybe don't believe this, but I'm not interested in a career as an actor. I really wanna be a filmmaker. And I know putting a name with a face would just make it easier to make wow. another film. You know, just the familiarity of it. It's like right up like, oh, she's the one who, yeah, I know that, yeah. You know what I mean? Like. I, I realize in this business, it's important that people trust your brand or your product, so to speak. And now you're getting it all in one shot. You see the film, you see the filmmaker, and hopefully you'll, you'll be more open to my stories in the future. But I, I don't have grand scheme plans on like taking up an acting career. I have way too much respect for actors and what they go through <laughs> to call myself an actor, but I wanted to play myself 
um, also selfishly to kind of point to my parents who are no longer here to point to their legacy as artists, you know? Mm. So I got to do that by playing myself, but yeah, yeah this, this to me, I was like, if I could get this right, this film with all of these characters, shoot it in black and white. I mean, it is probably one of the more audacious ideas that I've had, but I'm like, well, if I start off the gate like that, then yeah. with that kind of risk, you know, and it works, then maybe I, I can have the career. I can, I can really start to craft the career that I want to have as a filmmaker. Yeah. Is there, do you think of yourself fundamentally as a, I think I know the answer to this, but do you think of yourself fundamentally as a writer, as a director, or obviously you just said not an actor. Um, so is it fundamentally writer? I think fundamentally I've been a writer yeah. for all of this time. Yeah. And I do think that that is at the core of my filmmaking. Like I don't, <clears throat> I'm not sure I want to direct other people's screenplays. Um, I, I should probably try it just to challenge myself because this is my first and only film so far. Um, but I feel like I've always been a director, you know, and I, and I feel like where I, where I really got my chops was in a classroom. You know, I was a teaching artist for 20 something years and having to work with a, a dynamic that aren't, considered professional actors. A lot of times the kids don't want to be there. You know, that, that Elaine character, the kids in the, the screenplay are in, a, in the film are an amalgam of students I've taught over the years. And there's always that one kid that's like, what are we doing? How do I do this? And it was my job in the 10, 15 or 20 sessions to really engage them and um, not only get them excited about telling story, but like, to have them take ownership of it. You know, I would always say that um, it's a line, the line is in the film, you know, it's your play. It'll be what you put into it. I've said that over the years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but, but having to work with uh, young people, you know, and their hormones and their, and, and their myriad of issues, you know, as young people, I think is what made me a director. You know, like that's where I realized, oh, I am a director because I was able to kind of convince <laughs> the people in the room that this thing is worth pursuing and then giving them pointers on how to get there. So I, I fundamentally have been a writer. You know, mm -hmm. I have more screenplays I want, that I've written that I want to direct, but I feel like on the other side of this, I may transform into fundamentally being a director. I'm not sure yet. And that's the beauty is like at this age to have this question, like, I'm not, I'm not sure. I really don't know. And I, um, I think it's beautiful that we can have like, what is it? A second act? I don't know. Uh, you know, um, but that, you know, my next, hopefully 35 summers, <laughs> yeah. I'll get to contemplate this new, you know, this, this new role. Um, yeah. I know like built into the, the concept of the movie is that 40 is old to be a rapper, but do you consider yourself old? I mean, I'm at 45. I do consider, of course, I'm the oldest I've ever been, but then I think how I'm going to look back on this when I'm 55 and I'm going to go like, Oh, why didn't you start learning to play piano when you were 45? We'd be so good now. Right. <laughs> um, no, I don't consider it old. I consider my knees old, but <laughs> I don't consider myself old. And you know, yeah, like, the beauty is 
like the the beauty would be right us at 90 years old checking in with each other hey tim how you doing and how's how's the garden okay did your grandkids come to see you know like the beauty is to get there and yeah. i always say that it's like when people say oh my god i'm so old i'm like well it beats the alternative like yeah. you're you're alive to say that and yeah. and I, again i think my experience is 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 making me actually feel young because i am new to this world even though i've been studying film and, and loving it from afar like i'm new as a participant to the world and you know i'm just getting started so i'm i'm i see myself as like you know like a kid in the business yeah. you know like um and you know i think the idea of old usually comes from other people you yeah. know what i mean like no i could name six rappers in their 40s you know oh yeah half of them in my movie but like <laughs> you know Ghostface. there was a line at one point when archie says to me you want to do what you know <laughs> girl we're almost 40 and i say so what so Ghostface is out there rhyming big daddy game does 200 shows a year you know um yeah. so it, it's completely acceptable for men to do that i yeah. think for a woman um contemplating doing hip-hop at 40 i I've, I've said it to people like oh this is what i do and their immediate reaction is to laugh that's the immediate reaction yeah. so i'm like okay all right come and see come and see what what i'm spitting and see if see if you're gonna laugh then <laughs> but um yeah you know i think the outside there's these outside societal pressures, pressures around gender and race, or what you should be doing at what time. And I really do think like, you know, making a film is a good example of like, you have to kind of hone in um, and just see this light and see this vision and, and, and shut these other ideas out, you know, because, um, and I hope it, I hope my story inspires many other people, you know, to, to pick up something new at a certain age um you know because we're still here there's breath in our body and there's an the opportunity to learn something and maybe even master it you know i'm not just saying this to be like life begins at 40 but i actually <laughs> do think this is a really good age and mm. personally i think it's the best age i'm biased but like my knees are old too but like they're not so <laughs> it's not like I can't get around at all, you know? Right. It, it, they're not what they were when I was 30, but on the other hand, there's people who are 30 who are in worse shape than I am. And absolutely. You just, you can't get, we've just had more time to watch all those movies. I mean, to have, I just saw the apartment, you mentioned the apartment. I saw the apartment three months ago and it was uh, like, where's this been? And uh, so many, just to accumulate just more things and more things to learn from, I think it's just a yes. huge advantage. And for you to come in, extremely hot and win this major prize at Sundance the first time out, I think is a testament to just what you've done and what you've absorbed and all of the practice that you've had writing and creating. Yeah, you know, this, the, the award is still surreal to me because I thought if, you know, I don't place, my awards, my personal awards are, some, are of a different nature. Like my award is people coming up to me after Sundance, um saying things like oh my god your movie is black as fuck <laughs> <laughs> or or 
you know, someone who was not black saying, I, I saw myself as a New Yorker in your film and I, I, I want, you know, that, that is, I will cherish those responses. Um, but I went to the awards thinking, okay, if we're going to win anything, it's going to be ensemble because that cast is like, I'm so yeah. proud and inspired by that cast. You know, like, I'm, I'm so excited about what might might happen for some of them. Some of them, it's their first film. People like Reed Bernie, it's their 100th film. But like, <laughs> you know, actors who've been in films before but hadn't had, you know, the spotlight that might, you know, change the trajectory of the career. So I was thinking, if anything, ensemble. I didn't think director. And proof of that is when the ensemble uh, award went to, um, I want to say, Charm. Oh, Charm City Kings? Charm City Kings, I believe, got best cast. When it went to best cast, I went back to drinking. I was like, <laughs> well, I don't have to be sober now because the award, hey, let's just keep partying. And I drank and I drank. So by the time they called my name, you know, I'm drunk. I start crying. I'm drunk crying. And then I see my friend D. Reese. Get, I mean, she was on the stage. I knew she was on the stage, but I was kind of not. I was like, oh, that's D, that's great. And I went back to drinking and talking. And so by the time I got up there to receive the award from her, oh, you wow. know, it was, it was mind blowing because I remember seeing um, D's short Pariah many years ago. You know, my friend, one of my closest friends, Adipero Oduye, plays the lead in that short film. So I, I feel like a connection to that. But Dee has always been someone who's inspired me as a black woman filmmaker. So the fact that I'm walking on the stage, I mean, it was very surreal. And um, I, I think the thing about awards is, you know, they, they give you a stamp of approval so that again, bottom line, you want to be able to make another film, there's that opportunity, yeah. but you know, there are other things to me that are awards, you know, like seeing the movie poster and, and, and knowing that a person, a young person who looks like me is going to see that and maybe yeah. be inspired to make a film. Or, you know, um, I'm forgetting his name right now. I apologize. I think it's Chris at IndieWire. Wrote a book about New York films and he said, you know, I got to do, after seeing your film, I have to do a, a volume two. You know, things wow. like that. Like the fact that the film might be considered along, you know, be uh, inserted into the canon of classic New York films that have like raised me. Yeah. You know, um, that is, that is, you cannot beat that. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really honored to get the award, especially from Sundance because like from 2017 up until present, they've just supported me in so many ways. I was chosen for screenwriting and then moved on to the directing lab. And ever since, they've just been in my life kind of pushing me along. So to get it from them, it was, it was a big deal. Yeah. yeah. And I honestly, honestly, I wasn't thinking that people would see my directing, if that makes any sense. You huh. know, I thought people would just be like, oh, that person acting in the film, they made the movie, that person, that per you know what I mean? Like, I, I kind of got the impression that people would forget I directed the movie. Um, so to get the directing award, I was blown away. I really was. When you're writing and directing and acting, who do you check with when you're not sure of something? Like when you're- My therapist. 
Uh, my therapist, a bottle of Xanax. No. Um, you know, what I realized is that when I, when I'm on set, I've had to truncate the, 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 the or minimize the screenwriter because hmm. at that point the screenwriter is like oh but what if we just did another scene and i have to say nope nope yeah. in fact i need you to cut x y and z so we can get you know because you, it's true what they say you know there's the screenplay there's the production and then there's the edit you know like it really has three different lives and it what i imagined from the script we show up at a location and I go, oh, no, this scene is, oh, no, it, it's going to lay out completely different simply based on the way, you know, this particular scene is. You know, there's that scene in the swanky restaurant with me and Archie with the mirror behind us. And, and I was, the minute we walked into that place and I saw those lit, those carousel lights, I said, oh, no, 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 no. We have to get that. And the ceiling was so high. The only way to get that was to be sitting down and shooting into the mirror. Mm. And so I love that. That's probably the process that excites me the most is seeing the idea transform into a visual, yeah. you know, um, but I, but I feel like just in terms of writer and director, you know, and, and I hope this, you know, should I work with a writer on um, a film directing a film by the right, you know, I think it's about, you know, I always go to Dog Day Afternoon hmm. and everyone just assumes that Sidney Lumet came up with everything. But <laughs> you read Frank Pearson's script. Yes. Even that even that that montage of shots when um Sonny decides to go check on the, the AC because the poor hostage bank teller woman is about to pass out. Yeah. And how he hears that scratching at the window. And that whole sequence, you know, pops off with the yeah. shots and the people scurrying. Like, I remember the first time I saw Dog Day Afternoon, I was like, wow, Sydney is a genius. Then I read the script and I was like, wow. Like, he really did elevate Frank Pearson's writing. Like, he took it to the next level, but it had to start somewhere. And so, I don't know, I, I, at, at some point, I kind of had to say to the writer, what is your intention? Okay, yeah. then maybe you don't need all of those words. Now that we're in this space, yeah. and we've done this little bit of blocking, maybe we can cut the second half of that page because it's all here. Yeah. You know, so it becomes this dialogue. I know it sounds crazy because I'm the writer and the screen, but the, the screenwriter, it's not that they become diminished, but they do have to kind of hand something over to the director and trust that the director and the visual is gonna execute their intention, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah. So yeah. And then with the actor, you know, with switching into the acting, it was just, um, I don't know. It's, it's something I'm always encouraging writers, um, to, like I'm, I'm not an actor, but because I'm a writer and I know the journey that the character is going on, I'm always sinking into that, going from point A to point B. I'm not trying to trivialize the, the, the role of acting, but I don't have any training. So I have to go based off of the journey that has been written out, if that makes yeah. any sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it's kind of a cliche, but it's the idea of you have all this dialogue and then you realize that you have an actor who can convey something with a facial expression 
Oh my goodness. And you know, that was the beauty of working, you know, so my character is vacillating between these two worlds, between these two men, between these two parts of herself that are represented in the men, Archie being the world of theater, being the world of access and being kind of more my head and what's practical, D being the world of hip hop, being, you know, kind of representing my heart, you know, and what I'm feeling. And Archie was the more verbal character. You know, mm. he comes from the world of wheeling and dealing as an art, as a, as a theater agent, you know, so he talked more. D barely spoke. Yeah. And, you know, I, I loved, you know, um, I love the idea of, of actors being empowered. They are writers too, they're storytellers too. And so, you know, there were times when it was like, mm, he's saying too much. You know, what, what might he say? You know, I'd yeah. ask D, I'd ask Oswin that. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's been a great education for me because I'm coming from writing plays where all, all you have is the stage yeah. and you have two hours to relay certain things from backstory to, you know, baggage and all this other stuff. And having to, you, you need the language. You need yeah. the language. And then coming over to film where it's like the language should be more sparse yeah. And it's more about the visuals and the action, you know? And so it's been an in- interesting education, like getting away from all the language and transforming the language on the page, at least, into something that will be a visual, you know? Is there anything I should have asked about your screenwriting process? Because I actually feel like we talked about it and I have like a good sense of it, but I, I never ask questions like, what time do you write? Like, what is your, where do you write? Um, yeah, I don't, I, like I said, for me, um, when I was a younger writer, writing was very much about what I was writing down. Now it's more about going out into the world and just absorbing stuff. And, you know, I'm just going to be honest. I, I Many times I feel like writing is a calling because yeah. <laughs> when it holds, when it grabs me, I don't move. So yeah. I may not sit down and write for weeks at a time. Yeah. But when it does come, I hand myself over to it and it could be 72 hours. It could be more longer than that. You know, that my mom used to call sometimes and um, she was like, okay, I called you twice. I know what this means. You're in one of those, those holes. Please wash, please eat, <laughs> you know, take care of yourselves. So yeah, I mean, but it took me a while to find that process and to trust that process because I do see it more as a spiritual calling. I just trust that like, what I'm going to, you know, when I wrote that play about the gangs, there were certain things that would come to me that I didn't see in research. And mm. then when I do the research, it was there. So I've just gotten to a process of trusting this, this part of me that I, I don't think it's my ego, you know, because my ego would be over editing, overwriting, over, or over analyzing. I, I don't know. It's just a, a, something at my core that mm. tells me like, this is my life's work. This is my calling. This is what I'm meant to do. Let me be a vessel to, to the muses, you know, and um, yeah, I hope that answered the question. So. Yeah. When do you stop writing? Like, cause you can always keep going. You can always change something. I mean, is there. Yeah. You know, for me, um, one thing I cannot do, one thing I can't live without in the process of writing is, hearing the voices and so 
when I've heard the voices a couple of times, then I, I slow, I slow down because, um, to have an, an actor embody it, you know, and, and sometimes I don't, I don't necessarily mean a professional actor, but like friends or people who can read a role, you know, it tells me so much about what's there. You know, if after a while I'm like, okay, I need them to stop talking. That means I've overwritten the scene. Or if the actor is stumbling over the words, then it's not, if the language is not loose enough for their, for their tongue, you know, like yeah. I cannot write without readings, you know, I yeah. just, I can't. When I've had one or two of those, I go back in and maybe do another after I've done like a whole bunch of work. And then that tells me, okay, you're, you're close to the finish line because now you're hearing it. And I'm, I'm the child of a musician. I'm a musician. So like, I'm, I'm always listening for like, the sonics of it all, you yeah. know, how things are flowing. And if I'm in a groove and then the groove goes on too long, it's like, okay, I got to cut that, you know? <laughs> um, so it's, it really is about me listening, me hearing it back for me to determine how close I am to the end of the process. That seems like such good just advice for anybody who's stuck also, because you spend so much time laboring over something and you just can't crack it. And you may have even sent it off to contests or whatever and you're just not getting it, just have people read it. That's it. I don't, I don't know how anyone could send out work without you being the audience of the work first. Yeah. And I'm, I don't mean, I don't have to do a live reading. I do that too, though, because I, a lot of my work, you know, it's funny. Um, I didn't know the film was a comedy huh. until Franklin Leonard read it. Um, I had shared it with friends and they had laughed at points but i shared it with with franklin who was like the person i the first person i shared the script with who wasn't in my little tiny circle of writer friends hmm. and he said i was on the plane laughing so loud people <laughs> were like looking at me and i was like what you know so i i wouldn't call myself necessarily a comedic writer i want to be someone who was honest but i realized like my writing is about connecting with an audience so i'll do a reading with just friends and then i'll do a reading with some people in the room and see how their bodies are moving if they're laughing if they're responding if they're on the edge of their seat like that tells me a lot about the 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 work that maybe i wasn't even intending whether whether it's it being funny or you know people when people say oh my god you know 40 year version has heartfelt moments surprise to me like i'm not <laughs> i'm really not setting out to write in a particular way. I think the most important thing for me is to be honest and authentic to the world that I'm, I am creating. And so in order for me to do that, I have to first hear it with some, with some friends and then hear it with a couple of people who are just there to listen to it. You know, I don't know how writers work without that process because, you know, we're in a medium, this isn't poetry, you know, like, we're in a medium where like there, there is no work if there's no audience. You're ultimately going to share it with an audience. So I don't know how you can know what it is that you're putting out if you don't see how it's being received. So yeah, I, um, long-winded response is like, it's crucial for, for me as a writer to go through that process. Part of me is like, you know, New York is obviously the best city to do that because you can just get together with so many artists. Right now, it's a little harder, 
but yeah. it just makes me want everybody to just jump on Zoom and just do readings because like we're all looking for some kind of entertainment. Like what's more fun than workshopping your friend's play or workshopping your friend's script? It's, it's, um, one, it's, it's, uh, cr I've created this connection with actors in New York through this process. Again, like not everybody has seen my plays. People have seen maybe one or two of my plays, but how I've developed a relationship with these actors is just being like, Hey, I have this thing, you know, I'm thinking about the actors who, who read 40 year version back to me, you know, and I made sure to have someone else read the part of Rada so I could just hear how it came off, you know? Um, wow. You know, I, I've, I, and that's how these writers, these, these artists have gotten to know my work, you know, mm -hmm. and can either advocate for me as an actor or say, Hey, I'm looking for someone to collab with, you know, to write with like that round Robin thing uh, yeah. with the, the plays, like, First of all, I, I, I had the experience first at the Frederick Douglass Center all those years ago when I was like 19, 20, you know, wanting to be a writer. And now it's proven to be like my most, my most valuable resource is my, is my community. That's Rada Blank. Her new film, The 40-Year-Old Version, is now streaming on Netflix. Highly recommend you check it out. I'd also like to invite you to check out her article that she wrote for the latest issue of Movie Maker Magazine about her journey as a writer and a filmmaker. It's the issue with Erin Sorkin on the cover. You can find it at your local newsstand. If you can't find it on your local newsstand, hit us up at Movie Maker Mag, and we will set things right. You're also invited to visit us all the time at MovieMaker.com and to subscribe and rate this podcast, Movie Maker Interviews, which is chock full of you know, movie maker interviews. I'm Tim Malloy. I want to sincerely thank you for being here. And please let me know if anyone finds my house keys. <laughs>